So I'll be talking about the work of the Center for Free Thought Equality and also about how to engage atheists and humanists and our nonprofit organizations in electoral politics. So I'll give about a 20 minute uh, talk and then we'll open it up for questions and answers. Um, again, I'm Ron Millar. I'm the political and PAC coordinator for the Center for Free Thought Equality, which is the advocacy and political arm of the American Humanist Association. So what does it mean to be the advocacy and political arm of the American Humanist Association? Um, as a nonprofit, AHA has some limitations in what it can do in the political and electoral arenas, which I'll be discussing in more detail later. Um, to remove these limitations, the Center for Free Thought Equality was formed in 2004. Uh, the Center for Free Thought Equality is a different type of nonprofit, which is allowed to lobby elected officials as its primary mission. Uh, Rachel Deitch, who I hope you know, is our lobbyist and does great work. Um, the Center for Free Thought Equality, unlike other nonprofits, can also have a membership political action committee. Uh, our PAC is called the Free Thought Equality Fund, and we endorse and provide financial support to political candidates. It's a federal PAC, and it was formed in 2013. Um, now, as a membership PAC, only members of the Center for Free Thought Equality can know about what the PAC does. So I urge you to become members. The great thing is it's absolutely free to become a member of the Center for Free Thought Equality. So sign up. Um, I put several links in the chat um, for the references that I'll be talking with. So, so feel free and I urge you to become a member because it's the only way you can be kept up to date with um, our activities. So, so these three organizations provide the tools necessary to help increase our community's political clout. Um, you know, with the American Humanist Association, it's education. For the Center for Free Thought Equality, it's advocacy. And for our PAC, um, it's dealing with elections. Um, we do this work to diminish the bias against the atheist and humanist community, advance evidence-based public policy, preserve the secular nature of our government, and promote social justice. So this evening, I wanna give you some information about the political advances made possible by the Center for Free Thought Equality and what you can do as individuals and as members of non-theist nonprofit groups in the electoral and political arena. You know, as I said before, there are limitations on what nonprofit groups can do during elections, um, but those restrictions shouldn't prevent you or your group from taking allowable actions. Um, with certain restrictions, nonprofit organizations can and should be engaged in the political and electoral process. The key restriction is that nonprofits cannot make or appear to make um, endorsements of political candidates for elected office. So tonight we won't be talking about individual candidates or even political parties. So, you know, please refrain from doing so even in the chat and the Q&A. Um, it's important to preserve your nonprofit status. And since we are a small community, I think we would be easily targeted by folks who, who would like to shut us down. So it's important that we do follow the rules. Now, you might not be very familiar with the Center for Free Thought Equality, but you might know about our accomplishments. Um, we've had four major successes that I'll briefly review this evening. Uh, because of our efforts, the atheist taboo uh, uh, about running for office and holding elected office is now known to be defunct. Congressman Jared Huffman announced that he's a humanist and agnostic. The Congressional Free Thought Caucus was created, and we've had a 900% increase in the number of state um, legislators who identify with our community. So first, let's talk about the atheist taboo. Um, 
in 2017, I was talking to a candidate running for the state legislature in a very red West Texas district. And he told me he couldn't possibly be public about being an atheist because he lost two thirds of his potential voters just by his party affiliation. And even more because he was pro-choice and LGBTQ friendly. And I was thinking about that. Well, who else are you afraid to lose after all those qualifiers? Um, but he said, you know, I couldn't possibly identify, you know, I just, I just couldn't possibly be public about being an atheist. So as a good um, atheist, I wanted to get data on the subject. So the Center for Free Thought Equality purchased some space on an election day poll in 2018. And we had the survey company create questions to provide an answer. The, the results found that um, voters who favored democratic candidates and were pro-choice and pro-marriage equality would overwhelmingly vote for an atheist candidate. Um, you know, 72% of the respondents said that being an atheist would make no difference in their vote. And then an additional 10% said that they would be more likely to vote for the atheist candidate. So, so I mean, that disproves that it, at least once you put those qualifiers in, it really doesn't matter. And even on the opposite side, if you agreed, um, you know, with the person's policies, positions, and you generally voted for Republican candidates, I still think we came out with a majority, uh, just barely a majority, of, of those voters who would still vote for an atheist candidate. Uh, so policy issues matter much more than religious identification. So, but there's still that pool of voters out there um, who are less likely to vote for the non-theist candidate. So a bias still get, exists against our community and we still have a lot of work to do to dispel that. However, the taboo is gone. Um, Case in point, we were instrumental in having Congressman Jared Huffman announce that he's a humanist and agnostic. He's the only public non-theist member of Congress currently, or at least currently publicly so. Uh, this came about because in 2017, he returned a candidate questionnaire to our PAC with an intriguing response on how he identified with regard to religion. Uh, this was followed up by an email exchange between the two of us to introduce ourselves and explore the topic. And finally, it worked around to getting a dinner invitation with the Congressman Roy Speckart, who's the executive director of the American Humanist Association and myself. So at dinner, we discussed the goals of the atheist and humanist movement and the need for elected officials to publicly identify with our community. Um, he quickly agreed once he did some review of supporters, family, and colleagues and um, did make a public announcement about being a humanist and agnostic. And after his public announcement, he received a great deal of positive feedback from his constituents and colleagues. So it could not have worked out more smoothly uh, for him to, to come forward. And also he has the best district in California. It runs from the north end of the Golden Gate Bridge up to the Oregon border, hugging the coast. And so he has the best wine districts and the best weed in all the country. So, um, Often he has shared the wine with us, but, um, but not the, the other. Um, so, in fact, he received such positive feedback from his colleagues that he decided to form a caucus in Congress. And this was one of the ideas we discussed at our earlier dinner together. Um, Huffman arranged an organizing meeting at his townhouse, and Roy and I met with several members of Congress to form the caucus. Uh, we had another meeting, and that time we held it at the American Humanist Association headquarters and the necessary paperwork uh, was uh, filled out and prepared and the Congressional Free Thought Caucus was born. And this caucus is a membership group of Congress and their goal is to foster science and evidence-based public policy 
and also provide a forum for members of Congress to learn about the atheist and humanist movement. Um, so I think it has 12 members now. It's still a tiny caucus, and, um, but it's growing, and that's the important thing. And they, they've been doing some good work in Congress. Our last major accomplishment is that we've identified over 50 state legislators who are members of the atheist and humanist community and are willing to be public about it including several folks from Florida. So that's another great reason to, to join the Center for Free Thought Equality. You'll learn who the members of uh, uh, your legislator are who identify with us. Now this is up from just five state legislators prior to the 2016 election. So that's how we get this whopping 900% increase, which is a little phony, but you know, five to 50, it's still great. Um, however, we need another 1,500 or so to reach parity with our population, so we still have quite a bit of work to do. So that's the Center for Free Thought Equality. Um, I urge you to join. Um, membership, again, is free, and as a member, you'll learn about what the PAC is doing uh, for this election and hopefully well beyond. So, so now let's... Uh, uh, take a moment to explore what you can do as an individual besides joining the Center for Free Thought Equality, which membership is still free, um, uh, so that as an individual you could advance the interests of our community in the electoral arena. So first, obviously, you have to participate by voting, not only in presidential elections, but in every election. So you need to cast informed votes by researching candidates, not just at the top of the ticket, but for every contest on the ballot. Um, the League of Women Voters has this great resource called Vote411, uh, their website. It's a really good place to start your research. Um, you type in your um, address and they'll put the whole ballot up that we'll, you'll be seeing on election day or before. And um, you know, League of Women Voters, they often have their questionnaires and surveys that they provide. So it's a really great resource. Um, so, the other places to go, obviously, are with the issue advocacy groups that you support and see who they're endorsing and review their voter guides. Conversely, you can look at the voter guides and endorsement uh, from organizations that are diametrically opposed to your policy positions and make your decisions on that information, too. So use the opposition research of the oppositions to figure out who you should be voting for. However, before you can vote, you got to be registered to vote and make sure you're still registered to vote. So if you've moved or if you haven't voted in a while, please make sure your voter registration is up to date. Um, the Secular America Votes uh, website provides a, an easy link to do both of these. And I think October 5th is the deadline for you to register in Florida. So. So once you're registered, then um, you know you you actually have to cast your vote. Just thinking about it, uh, you know, isn't enough. Um, you need to make a plan to vote, especially this year with the pandemic uh, potentially limiting polling sites and the various um, things they're trying to do to stifle the vote, like the post office slowdown. Um, a, a voting planning measure is more important than ever. The first step in making a plan is knowing the voting rules in your state, and every state is different. Um, NBC News has a nice site called Plan Your Vote that lists the rules for each state uh, for voter registration, absentee voting, early voting, and more. Uh, so once you know the rules, you can determine what is the best way for you to make sure your vote is cast and counted. Um, uh, you know, if you're concerned about going to the polls because of the pandemic and potential long lines, learn what the rules are about early voting and absentee voting in your state. If you decide to vote absentee, 
you know, you should request that ballot now, don't procrastinate. Um, and then once the ballot arrives, fill it out immediately. Make sure you do everything according to their schedule and get all the signatures you need and put it in the right envelopes. And then make sure you get mailed very early or see if your jurisdiction offers drop boxes or other delivery systems to make sure that it's returned in time and um, in the right way to be counted. So don't, don't lose your vote from process. Um, if you want to vote in person at the polls, make sure you know where your polling place is and make a plan to schedule the time necessary to make sure you're able to cast your vote. You should anticipate long lines so that you're not discouraged once you get there and see them. Um, and then please stay committed to getting into the polling place and casting your vote. If you're in line before the polls close, they have to let you vote no matter how long it takes. So, so stick in that line. Now, sadly, that seems like a lot of work to do simply to cast a vote and get your vote counted. But um, the, the other sad thing is voting is really just the most basic and last step of getting the electoral outcomes you want. Um, to get the results you want, you also need to invest your time and money in the candidates you want to win. You know, think about how important it is that your candidates win and then make a plan to invest your time and money accordingly. You know, create a budget. Uh, for both how much money and time you're able to donate and how many hours you can volunteer and then invest, invest wisely in both. Um, the great thing is you can volunteer for individual candidates or for the political party of your choice. Um, you know, volunteering is even possible during a pandemic. You can do no contact lit drops and get a nice walk in too. Um, from your home, you can do things like addressing postcards and phone banking. Phone banking is key this year. You can use your smartphone to connect with the candidates phone banking operations and talk to other voters. Um, with phone banking, you can volunteer for candidates across the country. Um, the key thing is just to make sure you know what time zone you're calling so you don't piss off any voters because um, you want to gain their support, not pull it away. Um, and, you know, if there is one, there's very few uh, positive elements of the pandemic, but one is that people are generally at home, so you're going to reach people. And many are going to be eager to talk to anybody new, so they'll actually, you know, take the time to talk with you just to, to, to break out of what they've been doing. So I encourage you also to attend online and when it's safe in-person campaign events. You know, wear t-shirts, buttons, lapel pins like I got, another swag that identifies you with the atheist and humanist community. It's a great way to increase our visibility. And if you invite friends and go as a group, it's even more effective. They'll think we're a movement. So Alice's Restaurant reference, perhaps. Um, when possible, in a public forum, ask questions of the candidate that are important to our community and identify yourself as an atheist, humanist, or whatever identifier you use. Again, it's all about building visibility and knowing that we are a constituency. Um, as an individual, you should use the candidate research you've done to make sure your like-minded friends and relatives are registered, have a plan to vote, and are informed about the candidates. You know, if they need help in voting, make sure you get them to the resources that they need. Use your personal contacts and social media to make these important connections to turn out even more voters for your preferred candidates. You know, we often say we want everybody to vote, but in reality, we want our people to vote. We want like-minded people to vote. So spend your time getting like-minded people to the polls. That's what's gonna produce the victory that you want. So um, to sum up, as an individual, make a plan to vote, um, inform and motivate your personal network, create a budget of your time and money to invest in candidates, 
and implement these plans so that your vote is counted and your candidate gets the support they need to win. So that's it for individuals. Um, now let's talk about nonprofit groups and what they can do. Um, the best resource for what nonprofits are allowed and are not allowed to do is a group called Boulder Advocacy. It's a project of the Alliance for Justice, which is a, an amazing group. They provide very detailed information and they also have this great feature that you can ask an expert um, either by phone or email and they'll get back to you because there's a lot of gray areas in um, election law. And best of all, again, it's all free. We love the free resources um, because they really want nonprofits to be involved in the process. So, so they have amazing resources. And prior to this meeting, I reviewed um, the Atheists of Florida website and your group is doing great work in this area with voter education of the important dates on your you know, homepage. You've got a, a very good information voter resource page and um, you know the listing and survey of candidates is great too. So this is excellent work. This is exactly the type of stuff that needs to be happening. Again, to build visibility, educate folks, and um, show elected officials that we are a constituency, that they need to court. Um, so I hope you continue this uh, for, for future elections too. And you know, don't forget those local elections. They really do, um, you know, in your day-to-day -day life, uh, they, they have probably more effect uh, on that than the nationals. Although at this point with the Supreme Court ruling, I can't argue that too strongly because things are going to change. So, so you, all elections are important. Just don't forget about the local elections too. So, um, you know, providing basic civics education, since we don't do much of that in school any longer, is really important. So you inform your members about how to be an engaged citizen. Uh, the links that you provide to Secular American Votes website and the link League of Women Voters Vote 411 site, you know, provides the basic necessary information to be aware of upcoming elections and all the candidates and issues that will be appearing on the ballot. So, like I said, I really like the Vote 411 site, um, gives you great information. As a group, if you've not done so already, reach out to your entire membership list um, by email or by phone to make sure your members are registered and aware of voting options and rules in your jurisdiction. I mean, you know, we've got to make sure that our community really turns out in high numbers, more so than ever before in this election, and your group has the names and contact information to make this happen. So, so please use your own lists as a tremendous resource and, and make sure everybody gets out. Um, now, there's a lot of other things that um, nonprofit groups can do too. Um, you can conduct nonpartisan voter registration and get out the vote drives. Secular America Votes is a great resource for this, and you have that site up on your website. Um, your group, um, uh, early on in the election, can send out information packets to all the candidates about the issues that are important to you. Again, this helps build visibility for the community and promotes the issues that are important to us. It just builds that awareness that we exist. Um, your group has already conducted a candidate survey. Um, you know, creating candidate questionnaires and preparing voter guides is a great way, again, to build visibility and educate your members. So I really thank you for doing this. Again, Boulder Advocacy is a great resource um, for this type of project, just to make sure you're, you're following everything. Um, your group could also create legislative scorecards for incumbents, like the questionnaires. This has to be done impartially and without coordination with elected officials. And you should include a broad range of topics um, if you do a, a, a scorecard. And 
you know, key is you, you don't do your first scorecard in election year. Um, you know, you have to show impartiality. And, you know, if you're going to do this, it would be a, an ongoing project, uh, not just an election year project. And one of my favorites is um, your group could sponsor or co-sponsor candidate debates. Um, again, this has to be done impartially and all the candidates for the seat would have to be invited to participate. Um, uh, if you don't want to uh, sponsor it on your own, you know, work with um, any alliances you're doing with social or economic justice alliances um, to, to co-sponsor with them, with other groups. Um, and again, it's just a great way to, to educate your members, build visibility, and again, make sure that they know we're a constituency. And last, um, your group's civil engagement should not end on election day. After the election, please continue your civic involvement. Um, one of the key things to do is ask elected officials to talk to your group. Again, I hype on it a lot. It just builds visibility and it promotes the issues that are important to us. Um, I would also encourage you to ask former candidates to talk to your members about their campaigns. Um, you know, this builds relationships with people that um, the PAC has identified uh, within the state, perhaps, who, who are members of our community. You know, go ahead, make them become your members, too. I mean, we have identified them, get them involved in your group. Um, and even better, it might encourage some of your members to run for office. And then, of course, you want to call me right away. Um, so that I know that that's happening. So, you know, we want people to run for office. Sort of what we do. So, um, you know, we have our PAC has information on endorsed candidates going back to 2014. And the Center for Free Thought Equality has over 70 elected officials who identify with our community. And they, you know, a lot of these folks only know about the community from me. And I'm not the best person to talk to them about our community. So that's why it's really important for local groups and state groups to reach out to these folks and get them involved in the community. So please look over our list and invite folks to speak to your group. So I really appreciate your participation in this meeting. And as members of our community or as members of our community become more politically engaged and organized, will empower our movement and increase our political clout. Um, our active political engagement will help to promote evidence-based public policy to effectively address issues that confront us, like climate change and the pandemic. Um, our active engagement will also increase the visibility of the atheist and humanist community and help diminish that lingering bias against us. And our active engagement will help build the society that we're proud to live in um, and that we need to live in. But it's only gonna happen you know, if we're all involved um, in the process. Uh, we, we, we can't sit on the sidelines. Um, as one of the um, Secular America votes says, um, you know, politics isn't a spectator sport. We got to be involved. So, so if all that's not enough of a reason to become more politically engaged, just consider that your active participation in the political process will help counter the white Christian nationalists that have far too much power in our political culture and will help bring their bigoted, anti-science, racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, and homophobic crusade to an end. And that's what personally motivates me. That's what gets me into work every day, because I really want to see them go um, um, by the wayside. So, so with that, I urge you again to become a member of the Center for Free Thought Equality. Um, even after 15 minutes, the membership is still free, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Um, I have a, a question already. Um, 
I have contacted a number of our elected officials to see if they will speak to our group and none of them have responded to me. Is there a way that you can recommend that we get some response from people? <laughs> <laughs> well, persistence is good. Okay. But also, also the other thing is too, um, as you get more involved in politics, you, know, you might find that that $25 donation you made to them to get them uh, elected or reelected will get you more on their, their spotlight. I remember years and years ago, I would send out small donations to um, uh, first time candidates and, and it was either somebody who was fairly progressive from one of the Dakotas, which right now is sort of mind boggling to me that there <laughs> might've been a progressive from one of the Dakotas. But I sent like 10 bucks I got back a bumper sticker and they, they sent me an invitation to their swearing in. I was like, well, that was a fine $10. Really? I got to talk to them. Um, the other <laughs> question I have was um, concerning, now I can't remember what it was. Uh, just looked at it. Um, we did a, um, a report card on our elected officials last year. So then we would be okay, right? Doing another report card this year. Um, Go to um, the Older. Boulder Advocacy because okay. I think yeah. there are, I, I, for a C3, I think there's some limitations like you really shouldn't give a grade or a percentage, I think. I, I think you're safer by just um, having the votes and, and, and you know, having the, the, the red and green marks uh, on how they responded. Okay. Um, but I think they recommend staying away from grading or percentages. Now we, we have a scorecard where we give percentage grades, but that's because we're a C4, so we have a little more right. leeway. Okay. But it's a great thing to do. I mean, it's the only way you know you can hold them to account. Jim Peterson, you have a question. I see you raising your hand. He's co-host, so he can't raise his hand electronically. That's right. <laughs> yes, I'm just wildly gesticulating, jumping up and down. However, <laughs> and, and thank you, Judy. Uh, I, I did want to say a couple of things. First of all, uh, most of the activity of our group, Atheists of Florida, is in fact uh, the product of Judy. And uh, she's done yeoman work in all of these matters. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, I, I do wish that we could have more involvement by uh, other, other members. And hopefully we're building up to that, I'm sure. Um, but at any rate, uh, on behalf of myself, I'm the president of the uh, Humanist Society of the Sun Coast. And presently, we're organizing our next meeting will be um, a candidate's forum. And uh, the question has been raised, um, should we uh, be absolutely certain that in inviting a candidate that we can demonstrate that we have also invited the opposition uh, candidate to the forum, even if they don't come, would that be satisfactory to meet the uh, legal it, requirements? It is. You got to make sure that the invitation was received and understood, um, so that that you know. And also, um, you can invite them to to send a surrogate if the candidate wasn't to attend. So I mean, you know, take that extra step just to show that you know you really want someone there to to represent the candidate. Um, mm -hmm. And then if they refuse, they refuse. C'est la vie. Exactly. But then also, um, again, voter advocacy is a great place to go because you'll want to have some preface before you introduce the candidates about how, you know, you don't make endorsements. This is an educational program and, you know, just have all that language out there so that, that there's no, um, no one can misconstrue what's, what's going on. 
Um, another concern, I see we don't have any more questions uh, at the moment, uh, is that uh, so many of us here in Florida are uh, above the, the age of 50, believe it or not, and uh, except for the women here, of course. And uh, <clears throat> um, so it's got to be a limiting factor in what we can do because many of us feel that we uh, need to restrain our public activities out in the wild, so to speak, because of the COVID-19 problem. Um, what are people doing locked up as we are, most of us? Well, I got to tell you, the, the Zoom meetings have actually increased participation in a lot of things, I think. And so I, 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 I don't think Zoom meetings are going to go away if we normalize back, because uh, it's a great way to reach out to folks um, more easily. Um, uh, so that will continue. But again, I, I got to stress, phone banking is, is a great way to spend some time. Uh, you know, you pick the candidate you want to work for, the party you want to work for, um, and it's easy to do to link into their, their lists, and, and they have everything set up, uh, scripts and whatnot. Um, and, you know, when I was interviewing candidates this year, it was so much easier to reach candidates this year because people really were home. And I was like, you know, it, it really paid off for me <laughs> to, to, to reach out to folks. And I, I am assuming that that's still the case. Um, and people want to talk, especially, um, you know, if, if um, you know, you reach, reach a supportive person and, and, or somebody who needs, just needs a little push to, to know what they need to do to plan their vote. Because um, I, I think that's going to be the biggest thing this year. Because I don't know if Florida is going to have an issue of, of, of not getting enough uh, election workers. So there, there's always that potential of uh, polling sites to, to be consolidated. Um, and we just got to make sure that, that, that you know, everybody has a plan to go out and vote. And so a great way to do that is, is through some phone banking, targeted phone banking. And that's the goal of the candidates and the parties to, to get people out. So, so they've got all the resources you need. They just need a voice on the other end of the phone to, to make that happen. And if in you don't the, like talking to people, you can do texting, which is what I do. <laughs> okay. That's great. That's where, and in, I do like in, the idea of the non-contact lit drops too. I mean, yeah. don't we all need a nice little walk in the neighborhood? So, you know, <laughs> Uh, in making such an effort, and, and people come up and, and ask, well, how can I get involved? Uh, because we're in that 501c3 position, uh, do we just have to give people a menu of campaign offices, Republican, Democrat, Green, other, so that the whole spectrum is covered and we're not seeming to recommend one uh, candidate or party over the other? Or can we just say, well, just go to um, candidate X? Uh, no, don't do that. <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, and, and honestly, I, I think the main thing is just encourage people to participate. I don't even think you would have to provide links to the parties because, again, that gets in the gray area. Yeah. And you want to stay away from the gray area. I mean, the, the great thing, everything is, you know, out there and it can be easily found. But just pushing how important it is for, for, you know, getting the issues that we want addressed uh, from our government uh, that people have to participate. And, and that's what you got to motivate people. I guess it's, it's probably easy, easy enough for people to find out where to go if they're really serious about it. You exactly. shouldn't have to tell them. Okay. 
and doing what what you're doing on your website. I mean, have the resources that come out of the Secretary of State's office um, about polling places or anything like that that, that comes up. That, that you know, you don't have to recreate the wheel. You just provide links uh, um, back to the the authorities that that have the information. Um, and it just helps that if it's on multiple sites, uh, you know, especially for our community. Um, that knowledge gets back to our members and 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 makes it easier for them to to get their vote out there. No questions. Nobody's got a question. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask another question. And, oh, wait, and, but Bill, Bill oh, has one. Sorry, I didn't see his hand up. But okay, Bill. I just raised it briefly. Oh. <laughs> I can't see when, because I've got yeah, speaker know, view on, so that's why I ask electronic hand. You asked for a hand wave, and so I waved. Okay. <laughs> Go, Bill. Uh, I'd be curious to uh, know from your perspective, which is so much broader than most of ours, um, when you're talking to pre-thought groups, um, are they actually trying to go out and persuade voters on the basis of their theistic position? Or are they finding other ways to engage on things like uh, evidence-based uh, policy and things like that? Well, the great thing about C3s is you can talk about issues all day long and there's no restriction on that. So that's where you, you know, find your allies, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, across the board, you know, you want to promote the issues that, that, that make sense for our community and our allies. Um, but again, for me, especially at this stage in the election, it really is turning out the like-minded. I mean, I, there are some groups that really want to do, oh, we want to do this broad, get out the vote effort. And it's like, well, that's great. And, you know, if that's your passion, then follow that passion. But, um, you know, we want our people to hit the polls. Uh, we want our like-minded people to hit the polls. We're going to uh, promote candidates that, that are going to support the issues that we care about. And so, again, that's why I think, you know, just delving deep within our community, making sure that any resource they need to get to the polls and get them out the vote is there for them. Because, uh, and you're in Florida. I mean, you are in, in one of the great swing states. You guys could make a, hu a huge difference on, on what's going to happen nationally. So, so you're in a really good position. We like to say that we are in the swing county in the swing state. Okay. <laughs> Pinellas County is, uh, you know, at the end of the corridor. And uh, we are a very important county here. And the whole Tampa area really is. We're a bunch of swingers in here. <laughs> Indeed. Other questions? Before I ask my next one? <laughs> <laughs> Don't see anybody waving. Um, I, I would like to ask you about um, the Supreme Court nominee. Um, I, I believe this woman is involved in a cult from what I've read, and I'm very concerned about how this is going to go. So um, what, what are you all doing and what can we do uh, as individuals and as a group? 
Well, well, fortunately for my answer, that's more on Rachel's table, uh, Rachel Deitch, the lobbyist, than mine. Um, I'm pessimistic about this, actually, because there is not a procedural way to block this. They only need 51 votes. They can jam it through. Um, and we only got, uh, you know, there's only two Republicans who said that they would vote, and you got to have the four. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm hoping that what this does is just build anger uh, to motivate people to get involved because, you know, uh, we won't be able to overturn this, but there are options if things were to change in the Senate and the presidency um, um, that, that could mitigate uh, 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 this new voice. And um, yeah, but, but for any procedural way to stop this, uh, uh, I don't think there is one. Even though they, Nancy Pelosi says she has many uh, arrows in her quiver, um, she's not in the Senate either. And, and there are things they can do afterwards, but, but to make that happen, things have to change politically. And it is scary. I got to say, she's one of the, you know, I thought we'd seen like the far right <laughs> appointments, um, but she is further than, than, you know, what we have up there. And it's just scary that the, 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 the white Christian nationalists are this powerful. And yeah. our community has the size to counter these folks. What we don't have is the organization. And um, so we, we've got to organize and, and we, can, we can put these people back into their small, narrow little village where they, they, they can live out the rest of their lives but leave our politics alone. Um, the, for those who don't know, uh, she belongs to a group called People's Praise. And it is a, um, it looks like a cult to me. The women have to obey the men. They have people within their group they have to report to and get approval for everything they do. And if uh, they don't like what you're doing, they just throw you out of the cult, which is very cult-like. And um, it's all biblical and um, um, very right-wing. <laughs> In fact, they're, they're, the women yeah. report to someone called Handmaid, although they have changed that since, I'm sure because of the popularity of the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Um, that's my guess anyway. And the men report to someone called the head. Um, so it's, it's a matter of um, really, it's really scary when I looked at that, at that yeah. article uh, on this. So Google it. And there is a chapter here. Uh, I was seriously thinking about asking the man who represents the chapter here to come in and talk to our group. But I don't know how viable that is. That would be an interesting discussion. I mean, yes, yeah. it would. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's um, uh, just Google people of praise and uh, mm. there's a New York, this didn't come up in her last um, evaluation to be appointed to the court, uh, but the New York Times did a long article on it after that. And so I'm hoping it will come up at least in this time. And. Although I looked at Rubio, I haven't looked at Scott's yet, but I looked at Rubio's 
comment on it and he's like oh they're going to go after her religion again and um keep us from doing our duty as the as advising himself yeah eileen you have a question yeah, i just want to say i because I, uh, I i started looking at what her background was and she has like seven kids and i had a friend that said if you're you know, and she's adopting these kids and stuff. And like, if you have seven kids, are you staying home and being a mother or are you having that, you know, which is what she's, and I knew somebody that, that was a, a, a minister's wife and she had seven kids and they kept getting all of the church members to volunteer to babysit, to take care of, you know, and donate stuff. And she's from South Bend, Indiana, which is Pence's area too. That, I don't know what to say, I think, I, I wonder if this is not going to turn against them for a change. You know, I mean, it's a little bit too too extreme for the religious. I mean, I don't know that the evangelicals might like it, but I, I don't. I don't think the Catholics will. I mean, I know I it, it, my friends don't that are Catholic. No, that's all I had to say. South Bend, Indiana. Well, the interesting that. thing about this group is ninety percent of the members are Catholic even though it's a Pentecostal-based um, yeah. uh, Christian group, but it's majority well, Catholic. Yeah, they've sort of incorporated the charismatic aspects of yes. the Pentecostals into the Catholic Church. And so, um, Scary. Yeah, yeah. Why that's necessary, I don't know. In fact, the Catholic Church here that this guy belongs to has it on their website as a link, which I thought was really interesting. They no, just no stick other with marriage encounter. I'm sorry. What? Amy. Amy is asking something. Oh. On the chat. And she's. Amy. <laughs> and they just stick with marriage encounter. Yes, that would be a good thing to stick to, I think. <laughs> and Rick has uh, made a comment about who's does she obey her husband and who will make the court decisions? Him. And that was one of the things that made me concerned about this group she belongs to because. When they go to consult with their superior, whatever you want to call it, their, their person, if they aren't following what that person considers to be God's path, they get in trouble. Now, how is that going to influence her decisions on the court? I know you can't answer that, but it just is a, a real question for me. Well, and I think I read also that she has said that she would... Um remove herself from death penalty cases because of her beliefs, but yet uh, she won't take a, a similar step on abortion rights right. issues uh, for that. So it's like, how do you pick and choose um, what you recuse yourself for, so. Well, I, the one thing I agree with her on is there shouldn't be a death penalty, but that's my opinion. Um, James, I can't believe you don't have a question or a comment. No, I, I'm listening today. <laughs> I just uh, got done uh, shortly a while back listening to a uh, presentation um, by Rob Boston from, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I believe he was uh, Americans United. Yeah. And um, it was very good. So I've, I've been... I've had this headset on listening for a long time. And, and so I kind of decided I would just sit here and, and listen to everybody uh, 
today, and uh, it's not a free-for-all discussion, and you know how I like free-for-all discussion. Yes, I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I have lots of opinion about this uh, Supreme Court, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a pessimist, and uh, this woman is very young. She's going to probably be on that court, could be there for 40 years. And with the other young appointees and who knows what might happen uh, between now and Trump's presidency coming to an end, there may be others because uh, uh, Justice Breyer is contemplating retiring and so is uh, Justice Thomas. Uh, some of these justices are up there in their years and they actually do want to stack the court with young jurists um, while they have the opportunity so that there will hopefully, in their opinion, be no opportunities, even if a Democrat comes to the presidency. Uh, they're hoping that if they have the court already stacked and full of young appointees, they probably will not be able to change the make up of the court for at least two generations, and I, I suspect that that is uh, likely. So I, regardless of who the president is or who has Congress, the, the Congress actually cannot make a law if you have a Supreme Court who is going to overrule that law on the basis of right-wing ideology. So you could have a, the Congress make a law and all you have to do is have right-wing conservatives challenge it in the courts and appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court would overturn it. And they are activist judges. There's no question in my mind or in practically anybody's mind that they're activist judges. They don't give a damn about the Constitution the rule of law or human rights. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be very happy to embrace death when it comes. Because I don't want to stick stick around and see what uh is happening to the United States. I left the United States ten years ago because I saw this coming and it, it I I could not convince people that they needed to become activists and speak out. They criticized me for speaking out. I was a militant atheist in their opinion. So, okay, so I packed my bags and I came to Costa Rica. And uh, I am a vocal here on YouTube by posting, but there's limits to what I can do from here. And you know, this younger generation, they're going to have to um, come up with their own activists and they're going to have to deal with this. And it's going to be for a couple of generations. I think that we're being set back a hundred years of progress. So that's my opinion, my rant for today. <laughs> and I do appreciate our guest today. I enjoyed the presentation very much. And we need more of this type of activism. I wish that I could participate in 
But uh, my days of joining every free thought organization and, and as an activist are, are over with, I'm afraid. I'll just do my own little uh, activism on the internet and hopefully that will be enough. Although I am thinking about making some more uh, YouTube videos and see if I can't uh, put some messages up there that are important to me. Uh, but I thank you very much, Ron, for your presentation and coming today. And I'm hoping that because lately I've been listening to the voice of reason and Ed Golly and Joe and uh, have had some fantastic speakers. Uh, hopefully they will invite uh, representatives from the Humanist Association and from the Americans United because these are great speakers and they have a wonderful message that I think the community would not only appreciate, but it would also enhance the quality of the voice of reason. So that's all I got to say today. Thank you for remembering me, but I'm gonna let somebody else talk. Thank you, James, your input's always valuable. And Ron, just so you know, Ed and Joe have a private, I mean, the, it's their personal radio program they do on a local station, talk radio, so. Oh, well then, definitely invite, uh, uh, I think we have three state legislators who identify with us in Florida and mm -hmm. radio time, they won't pass up. Uh, so, so if you invite them, <laughs> they'll, they'll talk. Because uh, we recently had an organizing meeting in Florida uh, to create a, a state level caucus uh, with a political party. And uh, two of them were really enthusiastic uh, about participating in that. So, like I said, uh, these people, now that we've identified them as members of our community, are eager to, to become involved and um, to talk with folks and get to know the community. So I just, I, I can't urge that enough to, to, to you know, we have them all nicely listed on the Center for Free Thought Equality website. So you can get their office contact information and put out those invitations. They're really good people. I mean, they're, 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 they're fun to talk Met about. them all, they're really good. Well, there's one I haven't met, but the other two I have. Okay. Um, other, oh, Jim Peterson, you have a question again. Hey, I noticed earlier that uh, Bill Norsworthy had, had his hand up briefly oh, there. Sorry. And I wondered if he had anything to counterbalance the uh, bright and sunny optimism that, <laughs> that uh, Jim presented us with. Uh. Uh, I guess I would say I'm a little more optimistic than Jim today, but, you know, I'm having a good day. <laughs> um, no, I think we, we're doing a lot more than we have done in the past uh, to get out the vote, to get people motivated. Um, and whether it's going to be enough will depend on the people who do actually show out, show up. Um, and until we get some feedback, we won't really know, but uh, everybody is very motivated. Everybody realizes the magnitude of the problem. And, uh, you know, it is kind of hard to imagine that there are still people who could change their mind, but apparently there are about 2% two, 2 who haven't made up their mind yet. And uh, they're just waiting for the time to vote. Yeah, the idea that there are swing voters is amazing to me. But again, there's all types of people, so you can't. Uh, 
but for for Jim, the demographics are with us. Um, you know, it's it, it. Again, these white Christian nationalists are going to be the minority soon. It's really a matter of organizing, um, and, and the key thing is we can't wait <laughs> because you know climate change in itself prevents us from 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 waiting until the demographic demographics take over. So it, it is the sense of urgency, the urgency of now to, to make change happen. And, and and that's that's what a lot of the members of our community are, are trying to do. And you know anything you can get up there in YouTube and, and your social media, it it you know, every little component helps. And just you know we've got a little over a month um, People are already voting, so you know, the, the whole idea of an October surprise is out the window because of this. The, you know, we have early voting that doesn't work anymore because that was the, always the thing that scared me in the 80s and 90s, and, and usually came to pass. Um, so the, the how people vote has changed. We got the demographics with us. Um, people are energized. I can't imagine. <laughs> anybody in our community who isn't energized over this and, and it's just making sure they have the mechanics to, to, to get out there and vote. And we know that the majority of Americans um, want, don't want religion involved in their government. Um, so, you know, it's not just atheists and agnostics, but just the majority right. of Americans in general, which would be Republicans and Democrats, don't want um, uh, religion involved in the government. And James has his hand up again, or has his hand up. Go, James. One of the, yeah, I'm going to comment again, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> one, of, one of the problems that we have in the United States, and I guess around the world, is the religious community promotes and pushes this narrative that religion is a positive thing and it is not a, a positive influence if you put it on the balance scale it does a tremendous amount of harm we need to attack the notion we need to attack that narrative um, I was criticized heavily when I was act, doing my activism in in Florida even by other atheists because I called out Christians, Christianity, for being morally and ethically bankrupt, which it is. The vast majority of these right-wing Christians uh, are voting Republican because they don't care about human rights. They care more about tolerant, intolerance than they do about uh, ethics. And there's no load that they will not stoop to uh, in order to promote their fascism. So I think what we, what we should do is call them out at every opportunity. Shame the Christian community. I sent a link to many of you with regards to this pastor who uh, had a scathing rebuttal to the Christian fundamentalist right for su supporting uh, Trump 
and he did a fantastic job, but we need to do this at every opportunity. We need to let the Christian community know that they are shameful for what they are doing because it's, you know, it supposedly is important to them that they have good PR and they have this good public image. But uh, Trump has this horrible moral and ethical image and they're supporting that image. Yeah, We need to pen it to them like the tail on the donkey and not let them get a free pass. We need to hold their feet to that fire and castigate them. Um, maybe some of them will rethink their position and back away from that kind of uh, support. I'm done. Helen, did you want to say something? Yeah, I have. I think that um, I've been listening to you all, and uh, I come from a Catholic background, and uh, and I I agree with you 100% on everything. But I don't like the term atheist. I think it's too extreme and it scares people away. My growing up, the word atheist was a bad term. If, if we could change the name of our organization, uh, religiously neutral or something like that, because that's what you are. There's, I haven't heard anything hateful. I haven't heard anything um, anti-personal um, beliefs that people have on a personal level. And um, I find you all congenial, not like the term atheist implies. I tell my friends, oh, I'm going to Zoom with the atheists. They look at me with horror, but they believe pretty much the same thing I do. Anyway, <laughs> I know you won't change the name, but I just had to <laughs> put that down. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, Helen. We have had this discussion several times. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we're going to probably have it again. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news That's is wrong. the stigma is disappearing. Yes, I mean, it is. You think? Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, just, again, it's election focus. But in 58, um, uh, um, the Gallup poll asked, would you vote for a well-qualified atheist candidate? 18% of the people said they would. <laughs> and so, but the last time they did that, it went up, it was at 60%. The amount of it's good. Change that I'm glad to hear that. Uh, yeah. Regard to taking back the term over the past 10, 15 years has been tremendous and it, it's going to continue to sweep that way. Um, yeah, 12% of Gen Z people who were born in the 90s and 2000s um, openly admit to being an atheist with no, no qualms. Yeah. So yeah. it is disappearing. Jim Peterson, you had something? Yeah, it, it helps to, re to remember that the so-called bad reputation that the word atheist is associated with was largely created by the competition, the ministers, who made sure that their parishioners understood That's that me, atheists head, were the yeah. worst people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we all know that we're not the worst people in the world. No, you're not. So those people are. So, um, oh, yes. Of, co of course, that's been going on for about... 3,000 years now. <laughs> and whatever, whatever name or term we use to describe ourselves would be treated the same way by the opposition. So it really, in the end, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. 
I remember when, I see you, James. I remember when Jerry Falwell would go on about secular humanist uh, <laughs> at great length about how evil they were. Uh, secular humanist. Yes. Uh, James, you have something else? Yes, uh, Helen. Uh, there have been others who felt, as you have, that we needed to try to escape the stigmatism that uh, has been put upon us by the religious right with respect to being labeled atheists, those dirty, uh, sinful <laughs> uh, atheists that just want to have a license to sin. A few years ago, uh, there were a group of atheists, they were also humanists, who came up with this new label. It was called Bright. And so atheists started the movement to call themselves the Brights. Uh, I'm sure that some of you remember that. Well, slowly but surely that movement died because really being an atheist, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not a philosophy. It's simply the absence of a belief in the supernatural. Um, now, Atheists are not the only label that is vilified. Humanism is vilified. In fact, I think that maybe uh, it's certainly vilified on equal par with atheists. And most people accept that because of the fact that they absolutely know nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing about uh, humanism except what they heard in church from their preacher who gave them a completely distorted view of what humanism is. Uh, so it's upon us as atheists and humanists to educate people because they're not going to get educated in public education as to what humanism is, and they're not going to get educated in their churches as to what humanism is. They're only going to get, get a very skewed and negative uh, point of view. I'm done. Jim, uh, Jim knows whereof he speaks since he's a former minister. <laughs> yes, a fool says in her, his heart, there is no God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ron, what else is it you would like us to know? And, and uh, can, how can you uh, help us get people involved? I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, please continue it. And like other folks were saying, um, you know, I hope other members help you out, Judy, in expanding some of the stuff you're doing. So uh, get more people involved um, in, in the political and electoral arena because you know, there's so much that C3s can do. Um, and again, uh, really stress, mind your own members. Make sure that you know, nobody sets this out. You're in Florida. You could tip the scales by just a couple of votes. So, um, you know, make sure all your members are well aware what to do. Um, and last but not least, join the Center for Free Thought Equality. Membership continues to be free. Um, so please. You got at least one member. I think Jane said she joined. I was already a member. So, excellent. excellent. I would I would encourage everybody to become a member because I think it is very important that the public know that we're out here that, and we're watching. More importantly, the politicians know we're watching. 
Yeah. And I think we really are at a tipping point. I think for our movement, I think we're there. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, I get, when I send out the candidate questionnaires, um, so many of the younger candidates um, have no problem identifying with our community and are eager, you know, it's just natural for them. There's, there's no inhibition. Um, and, you know, as we get uh, established uh, uh, politicians and, and uh, to, to adopt that also, I mean, um, you know, we had Pete Stark, who was the first member of Congress ever to identify with our community. That was 2007. It took us 10 years to get Jared Huffman. Um, I think it will be a much shorter range till we get our our, our third, fourth, and fifth person out there um, publicly identifying with us. Um, we have a couple good opportunities in this election alone uh, to make that happen. And then, you know, once you hit the critical mass, people realize it isn't an issue anymore. And, um, you know, once enough elected officials identify with us, the general public sees leadership that they know and trust and respect. Again, that lingering bias will just evaporate. Um, and you know, we couldn't ask for a, a better person than Jared Huffman um, uh, to represent us in Congress because he just has a, a sterling reputation, very personable, um, and and yeah, and he's fully on board with us. It's really, um, he had a birthday event and uh, he invited me, and you know, Nancy Pelosi was there, and um, um, you know they had a conversation about him identifying with our community. She was fully on board um, and, and recognizes the constituency. And you know, we had a great conversation with the group for a few minutes about it. Um, so I'm just, I'm always impressed that, that he is doing great work up in Congress to, you know, represent our community. And if we get a few more folks uh, public with us, it'll make his job much easier and it'll make your job much easier. And we really move, will move this society. And I don't have the, the information right in front of me, but, um, you know, they, they monitor, you know, the, one of the, the questions they always used to throw at us was, you know, do you re need religion to be moral or ethical? And it used to be we were you know, well below the 50% mark there. And now I think we're topping out at 60, 64%. Again, that's just gonna keep growing. And again, like I say, the demographics are with us. We just really have to push to organize and get our voice heard because um, we're time is running out. <laughs> We've got to change our society to make it livable and make it the society we want to live in. And to do that, we all have to be participating. It looks like you got five new members today, so Excellent. that's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, and um, I, I, I always encourage our people to write letters to the editor, uh, because I know that <clears throat> the uh, um, uh, senators and, and representatives always pick out, they, they troll the newspapers for letters to the editor that mentions their name. Um, <laughs> and also writing and contacting them directly. Um, because that's, they're never going to know we're here if we just don't let them know. And it is building relationships. <clears throat> like I said, um, you know, these people that we've identified in Florida want to have that relationship. And, you know, elected officials who don't identify with us too, mm -hmm. they want to, they, they realize that we're going to become a constituency. And so, 
getting them in, getting them talking to us will make that, uh, you know, show them that reality. And again, uh, make us more respectable, more identified and increase our political clout. We want to empower our community. I would hope that one way that that would uh, happen is by encouraging, since you have a, a lobbyist uh, lobbying Congress, encouraging congressmen to pass laws that will actually impose prison sentences upon politicians who steal elections by disenfranchising legal voters and engaging in various strategies to prevent people who are legally entitled to vote from being able to do so. Um, for you know, the last 30, 40 years, I've been watching every election, long lines, no voting machines, no parking, blah, 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 blah. And every time that happens, uh, you hear these policies, oh, we're going to do something about that. And they never do anything about it. And so the same abuses continue election cycle after election cycle after election cycle. And no one is ever held accountable to the rule of law or uh, nothing. There's no consequence for cheating, yeah. for stealing elections. And that is state and local officials because the states do control. Yes, but we need some federal laws in place too. And if they can oh, regulate, yeah. we can regulate at the federal level other things. You ought to try regulating that because you can't, you can't overcome states who have right-wing legislative bodies. If the Democrats can take control of both the Senate and the House and the presidency, they can pass laws that penalize with jail time, purging legal voters from voting uh, roles and you know, implementing strategies to prevent legal voters from being able to vote. They need to, they need to come down and put something into to law to stop this crap. Because if it continues, nothing will change. Yeah, we need to enhance the Voting Rights Act. Um, uh, sure, but then the Supreme Court will just overturn the laws and we'll be right back where we started. They're going to say, that's not unconstitutional to prevent people from voting by charging them a poll tax or because they might be Democrats. So that's, that's the tragedy of what's shaping up. Okay. You're sounding like me, Ed. I'm a realist, okay? You and I are realists, okay? I try to be, but it's I sound a like any realist who understands that this country's turning into a third world banana republic with a dictatorship in power. I get it. You do. Yes, I do get it. And it's a sad situation. And if the Democrats, I don't know what the hell can be done at this point, to be honest with you. This election can be stolen. Oh, sure. I, I think Biden needs 20 points to overcome all of the tricks and strategies for disenfranchising voters. 20 points. He's only got six. It could very well be stolen. Well, the objective is to throw it into the House 
Yeah. Yeah. And so who Where it'll be stolen there. Wants the Republicans uh, here with the part, part of the strategy, though, too, is just to make people so discouraged that they don't participate. And that's my biggest fear. Um, yeah. So we, we can't let despair rule. We, we, we have to, again, participate. We got to, you know, if we can turn out more voters, then it becomes obviously they can't steal the election. And the white Christian nationalists have for a long time known that they're, they're, they're going to be the minority with the Demo yeah. uh, Democrats. That's why they're so desperate, I think. And, yeah, and that is exactly why they do all these, these, these voter suppression efforts, because they know they can't win because the demographics are against them. Um, and so, again, don't allow them to, to create a narrative that, that discourages people from participating. Well, they're going to create a narrative on the streets because they're bringing back Jim Crow big time. Yep. And they're um, going to take away Roe versus Wade, and they're going to take away marriage equality, and they're going to hammer away and take a chip away at freedom of religion and and freedom of speech. They're chipping away at that too. The yeah, First Amendment is under attack, quite honestly, on the streets. Yeah. People try to film the police. It's it's a protected exercise of the First Amendment, and yet the police are uh, beating these people up and arresting even mainstream journalists are being attacked by the police. If I might interrupt just a moment before we uh, go on any further. Scott just put in the uh, chat room that the Supreme Court just overruled the Voting Rights Act. Um, now, I'm, I know that they've overruled some things, but I wasn't aware they overruled the whole thing. Um, Scott, do you want to elaborate on that? Or do you know anything about it, Ron? No, no, I'm not familiar with anything that's okay. come out. Yeah. Sounds like something we need to find out about for sure. Yes. Uh, but, but, but let's always remember, as Ron said, uh, that uh, the possibility of success still obtains. And we, uh, if we're not to simply collapse into a, a big puddle of regret, it's, uh, it's, it's urgent and imperative that we, that we keep that prospect before us at all times. I mean, we may fail, we may always fail, but we can succeed at this too. So I had another question and I kind of agree with Ed, I mean, uh, with Jim, but I also agree with Ed and James. Um, what chance do you think you have of getting a nonpartisan support for secular values in Congress. Ron? Well, I think, um, you know, we have lots of religious allies that, that Rachel works with. And in fact, she's working with Christian nationalists on international blasphemy laws, which uh, is pretty amazing. But just to give you a little story about that, that I think is important, because um, again, it's building, uh, uh, you know, alliances that you wouldn't think we would build. And in one of the meetings, uh, one of the folks stood up and started speaking against atheists and agnostics and the godless. And one of the religious right folks stood up and Rachel was there. Rachel was like sort of, you know, testing her steel about ready to stand up and defend um, our community. But one of the people that she works with stood up and said, 
that is completely inappropriate. You know, we have people in our coalition and, you know, we pointed over to Rachel, they're working hard with us to, to make this, uh, uh, to advance the, these, these um, anti-blasphemy uh, um, uh, international regs. And, you know, it was all because she de developed relationships with these folks to make them see us as human beings and partners on some issues. So again, it's building relationships. We got to fight like hell with them on things that we don't agree with. But again, it's, it's breaking out of just this, this hardcore us and them. And I have a really hard time doing it because, you know, if, you know, if you're not responsive on our key issues of, you know, women's rights, gay, lesbian rights, then, you know, there's not much left to talk about. But occasionally, my question is, who in the hell are you talking to when the Republican Party, not only one of them would vote for impeachment, only and, and, and none of them would allow evidence and testimony in the, in the impeachment trial. And here we are, a Supreme Court justice, it's a right wing nut. And we've only got two Republicans that are willing to cross the aisle and side <laughs> with reason, a reasonable ju jurist for the Supreme Court. To me, you're only apparently reaching Democrats, you're not, or, or independents, you're not reaching any damn Republicans because they're unreachable. They, they've got their head in the sand they're like every religious nut. They don't entertain anything, uh, any argument, any evidence, any fact, any reality that they don't believe in. You just might as well be talking to the wall or stay home. Well, fear is a huge factor. And these Republicans, even uh, those that you know don't like Trump on a personal and political level are so frightened because the base is so adoring that they want to keep their 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 power positions, and so they're going to toe the line. Um, so yeah, like I said before, our community is, is the swing factor in getting rid of these white Christian nationalists and the politicians that are beholden to them. And um, you know, we can make the change on what's happening politically in this society. Again, we have the demographics, we just got to organize, we got to be focused, and we got to uh, empower our community. We got to work. Because it's, <laughs> not, it's not going to happen without 35 our days. Right. Yeah. We have to work and we have to make our voices known throughout um, our community and, and throughout the nation because they're, the younger people are not falling into that trap of uh, Christian nationalism, I don't think. Right. And, and again, um, it's not just this election. It's, right. you know, the next midterm, the next local yeah. election. We just right. got to go from school board all the way up. We can't. Uh, and, and another problem is within the Democratic Party itself. Back in 2004, when George Bush, well, W, won the election, there were many voices within the Democratic Party saying, well, we need to start looking more like the Republicans. Bill Clinton was a Republican. And, and, and started when they started hearing that narrative in the Democratic Party, that's when I really thought, you got to get the hell out of this country, pal. Hmm. And we've got people in the Democratic Party in Congress 
with this same mentality. They kiss Republicans' ass and vote with Republicans on every damn thing. They're no more Democrats than I'm a Republican. Oh, definitely, definitely. No, I agree with you. It's incredibly frustrating taking that middle passage that we went through in the 90s um, really harmed the Democratic Party. Um, um, getting fully in, involved with um, um, having corporations and the dark money run politics. I mean, it. yeah, I'm with you. I, I am as equally frustrated, but I know if I, if I, uh, if you don't fight back, it's not going to get any better. Yep. Well, it's almost time to close down. Thank you so much, Ron. I really may I may it. I say something? Absolutely, Jane. I just posted uh, a couple of links on the Voting Rights Act case that was decided in 2013. Right. And if you'll see the chat, uh, uh, you'll see the links to. Uh, so it didn't happen just recently. It's been seven years, um, and so take it from there. It wasn't really repealed totally. It was just gutted. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Everybody. I want to say I agree with you, Ron. We do have to continue the fight. Yes. Never give up fighting. Fight to the death, but we got to keep fighting. As hopeless as it seems, we still fight. <laughs> never give up. Never, never shut anything. up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Next week, uh, we have a speaker who I can't remember what they're talking about, something about government spending, and I apologize, but I will send out a link to with the topic. But thank you so much, Ron. We'll be contacting your partner to have her come and talk to us uh, pretty All soon. Right. So we can, uh, All right. Thank you very much again. I really appreciate it. Thank you.